Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Steven Robles. Today, we're going to do a deep dive on what to expect from the M2 chip. And then friend of the show, Jason Aiton, joins us for some talk about 1Password supporting crypto wallets. And is Spotify taking over the podcast industry? This episode is brought to you by our friends at Helix Sleep and Coda, our new sponsor there, coda.io slash Apple Insider for great collaboration tools for teams. We'll talk about them in a moment. And joining me this week is my friend across the pond, William Gallagher. How's it going, William? Hello. Um, yeah, it's Well, it was going fine, but we really have to talk about M2. I'm so over Apple Silicon. It's Intel <laughs> and uh, something Lake, whatever the new Lake is, they're going to do no, in a no, few no. years' time that's going to be faster than something Apple did last year. That one, I'm really into that. That's where I am. Oh, yeah. No, no, I, I don't know about that, William. I think uh, like your Apple Car predictions, that's on uh, shaky ground. <laughs> we'll just say <laughs> <laughs> Just say that. <gasps> well, Shocked. as we've been doing recently, did want to give some shout outs. There's been some many five-star reviews in the last couple of weeks. This username, I don't know how he did this and uh, got by the copyright, but his name is Apple WWDC <laughs> in the Apple podcast note. He says his whole family listens together. He's from the USA. So thank you for that. Lee Cantwell from Great Britain. Uh, do you know Lee? Do you know Lee personally? William? Well, uh, we, we're not supposed to talk about it. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, it's so top secret. Can't yeah. explain. Sorry. Yeah, okay. Top secret. I totally understand. Yeah. I totally get it. Yeah. We're like that here. Yes. Okay. Very good. Mm-hmm. Keith from San Diego. Thank you for the five stars. And then DHRUV. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it, but he's from India. Gave us a five-star rating. Also said, uh, keep telling William to watch Ted Lasso. So all the way from India, William. India is a, it's a fine country. I really admire India. It's such a, such a rich history, but promoting Ted Lasso, that's it. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Just I'm writing gone. it off. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I see how it is. Ebo from Great Britain. Also guitar player BP from the USA. I gauge it from USA. Chewy Lad from New Zealand. Another New Zealand listener. And Anne's the Cat from Australia. People all over the world, William, listen to us talk every week. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Actually, I should, I should warn Ebo about Lee. Uh, really uh yeah yeah exactly i'll I'll phone you later okay okay yeah very good you know and those are leaving reviews a couple of you put your name and where you're from actually in the written review that helps because you know the usernames in apple are all crazy so if you want to keep doing that i'll keep doing shout outs you guys keep them coming in i wanted to take a moment you know we don't typically comment on world events but i feel like this one is pretty significant yeah and just want to say that our hearts go out to the people of ukraine as news broke earlier today and last night or wednesday night that Russia has invaded Ukraine. We have a couple articles on the site talking about how it's kind of affecting the technology stocks and taking that take of it. But obviously, it's a very serious situation. And so just want to take a moment and actually recognize it. Our hearts go out to all those in Ukraine and just hope it resolves quickly and safely. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I do. I mean, I, I, particularly on my mind is uh, Julia and the gang at Macpool, the people who make setup. They're based uh-huh. in the Ukraine. They released. I mean, they released statements saying that the services will continue. Which um, I mean, it's very good of them to think of all the users when all the users are thinking of them. But uh, hopefully, they'll be okay. I did not know they were from Ukraine. Well, yeah, for sure. I, mean, I don't know if you guys listen to the show, but uh, I hope you are safe and and stay well. So there's a YouTuber, CG. P. Gray, if our listeners are familiar with him, he actually has a video that was released a while ago called Rules for Rulers. And it's a a little bit tongue in cheek, but I think it's a very interesting video. He actually tweeted it today with no context, just the link. And so I'll do the same. I'll put that link in show notes. 
It's a, a curious video, especially in light of recent events. Hmm. All right, well, let's move on to some actual tech news. iOS 15.4 Beta 4 actually was released earlier this week. I updated my iPad Pro and Mac. The Mac OS Beta 4 also came out. Those AirTag anti-stalking features that Apple talked about is included in the beta. And interestingly, we didn't know this was coming, but there's a new Siri voice in the latest beta for iOS and iPadOS. Have you got a chance to test out that new Siri voice? I listened to a little segment yeah. of it just to hear the difference. And people were telling me it's quite a neutral voice. And I, I can't decide, I suppose, because I'm not American. I can't tell you what's a neutral American accent <laughs> and what isn't. Do you like the voice? Have you switched to it permanently? Uh, it's an interesting voice. I did not stay on it. Mm. My 12-year-old my son actually had some interesting thoughts on the different Siri voices. And he thinks one of them sounds just kind of like a... Uh, a punk teenager, which I assume he would be well-equipped to yes. tell uh, being a teenager <laughs> yes. himself. But uh, I'll let our listeners guess which Siri voice he was talking about there. Tweet at us, uh, William and myself, uh, which you think it is. I thought it was an interesting voice. It does sound neutral, but I did not keep it. I actually, because I'm I'm partial to you guys across the pond, I keep it on the British voice Siri. All right. Uh, British uh, male or female voice. British female. Yes. I like to feel like I'm 007 or The King's Man. I just watched that movie recently. <laughs> Did you see that movie? No. No, I know about it, but I haven't seen it. Yes, yeah. No, okay, are you recommending it? I enjoy it. Yeah, I, yeah, I enjoy it. I like the Kingsman movies, but no, I keep it on the British voice. Now, now I'm curious, William, do you keep your Siri on the British voice or an American voice? I keep it exactly the same as you, actually, British female. My wife, Angela, goes for um, Irish female partly because just because she was bored of it but also it's kind of become a new friend in the car when you're driving uh the thing is in britain <laughs> the default I, i'm not sure if this is still the case this may have recently changed but for the longest time the default for siri here was british male but uh, siri started oh. later here or i got a phone with it much later here. by the time i was able to use it i was so familiar to hearing the american voice that, uh, that siri was a woman to me so well, who is this right. bloke pretending to be siri <laughs> so switch straight away very good yeah I, I keep on on female too so listeners also let us know uh, which siri voice do you use my son uh, who called one of the series a punk actually keeps his on the indian siri oh right the indian male siri voice so yeah. Is, is that available in, uh, as I say, American, in English? Yeah, yeah. It's an English. It's an English speaking. I might try that. Uh, Indian accent. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's also a South African, which is very interesting. I was close to using that. That's my, my close second. Oh, wait. Sorry. I can't try the Indian one because the Ted Lasso thing would. Uh, from oh, yeah, I see. Yeah. Okay. That, I would have okay. done that right away. And now, now, what yeah, can you do? Not petty at all. Not petty no. at all, William. I see. I see. So I didn't even know if I wanted to mention this one, but Ross Young, he is a supply chain analyst. He reports on leaks. He's actually very accurate. He is actually claiming that Apple is developing a foldable MacBook with a possible 20-inch screen. This would be coming in the future, like multiple years into the future, but that would be a folding screen MacBook. You know, I saw this rumor. I wanted to mention it because it's kind of, I think, the first time we're hearing about something like this. Maybe uh, from a credible source like Ross Young, but 
I don't know, William, I don't know if I have any desire to have a folded screen MacBook. I really like my MacBook Pro, especially the new one. Well, actually, just the second you said that, I suddenly thought, I've been using universal control in the beta stuff, so I put my iPad next to my MacBook, so I open the MacBook, so that's one direction of fold, and then I kind of spread out the other one. Am I, in a way getting it was like a, a nebulous version a nascent version of folding already mm. and all that would be is apple joining the bits together some more true mm. although if this folded macbook means virtual keyboard i don't think i'm about that i like no, my physical no. magic keyboard <laughs> oh funny you should say that though because just today i read a uh, patent sorry patent uh, <laughs> of apple's uh, where a future version of the magic keyboard will be the mac that everything will be in the keyboard except right. the display for it so it's quite fascinating for it it takes i mean here in the uk it throws me back to the the acorn electron and in the states well here as well commodore 64 that kind of i mean it's much much slimmer the drawings of the patent for it it's not much thicker than a current uh, magic keyboard but it's that idea and there's even a bit yeah. that says you could fold it so i could see me walking around you know casually mm. flicking out my keyboard that's true just popping it down from somebody else's screen and getting on with some work that's true that's the future yeah that'd be interesting i mean you look at the m1 24 inch imac you know the whole computer is the chin yes you know that's, that's the true. entire deal that's true and so yeah. you put you just make a, a you know, twice thick magic keyboard, like on the backside, make it a little more slanted. Yeah. Yeah. Sticking a M1 iMac in there. Why not? Yes. Uh, the patent for it is um, something like 130,000 words. And I swear to you, most of it is about how to keep it cool. Yes. <laughs> That's kind of <laughs> that is true. You have a bunch of like weird vents on the keyboard, but yes. yeah. So I wanted to point out that there's actually a new Apple store that opened in Abu Dhabi. It is the Almaria Island Apple Store, and I'm going to put the Apple Newsroom article because it is a beautiful looking store. It is on the waterfront oh. there in Abu Dhabi, and they have a bunch of, actually they have video and photos of the store, but it just made me want to visit all the wonderful Apple stores. You know, I know there's been ones that open in Los Angeles and in, around the US, but also around the world, just beautiful architecture extremely unique and modern looks incredible i don't know this just looks like one of the best <laughs> it looks amazing yeah so did you get a chance to see some of these pictures oh yeah enviously they look utterly good they also i remember a very long time ago steve jobs saying the problem with microsoft is that it has no taste <laughs> and i thought that was really cutting and yeah shockingly accurate and one of the things about designs you're saying about how good they are they are exceptional and beautiful but they also fit perfectly wherever they are yeah. i mean the local store to me uh it's one of those where they've kept an original building and converted it and i think they're one of the fewest changes they've made compared to others but whether it's taking over an existing building or creating a new one it looks like it belongs there and yet it is this exceptional piece of architecture as well it's just beautiful pieces of work yeah it really is. I mean, I've been to the Glass Cube yes. in New York City. And I also love the Soho store, Apple store in New York City. Again, incredible architecture there. Also the Grand Central Station store. Oh, yes. That is a, yeah, uh, you know, that's just beautiful. It does not take away from the beauty of Grand Central Station. It fits right in, like you were saying. It's just incredible. And I'm looking now, again, making the Microsoft comparison. I could be wrong, but I'm on Microsoft's website <laughs> and it says the Microsoft Experience Center stores that there are three. 
It says all Microsoft Store locations are closed, but the Microsoft Experience Center is in New York, New York, Sydney, South Wales, and London, England. Do you know if that still exists over there? Yeah, I go all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I seem to be vaguely aware that it was opening. Um, I, I've walked by Microsoft stores. I saw somebody in one once. It's just, you know, I'm not knocking them. <laughs> no, of course not. You're just reporting what you see. Of exactly. Course. Yeah. I like that. Though. The Microsoft Experience Store. To me, a Microsoft Experience is blue screen of death. Everything updates when you don't want it. Nobody <laughs> listens to you. And it all hangs up. But, you know... That could just be me. Tell us how you really feel, William. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's rotten That's me. I'm sure it's completely fine now. Everything. Mm, sure. You know, speaking of Microsoft still, I guess we'll just mention this now. There was this browser battle that's kind of been going on. Data has come out about the use of Microsoft Edge browsers over Safari and which one is going to take market share. You know, a couple of things we have to realize here. Number one, Chrome is the number one web browser used. I think this is US numbers. Google Chrome is used by 65% of computer users. This is like desktop and laptop computer. So far and above number one browser. And then Safari is second with 9.84% market share. But Microsoft Edge is gaining on Safari 9.54. Again, you have to remember when you look at desktop and laptop computers, Windows still is the majority around the world and especially and oh, here sure. in the US. Yeah. So, you know, the the numbers are kind of apples and oranges, but I find it interesting that Edge is gaining ground. Of course, Edge is now a Chromium browser. Yeah. So it basically renders the websites just like Chrome does. And then the third place or after Safari and Microsoft Edge is Firefox, which I thought was interesting. So I wanted to find out from you what web browser do you stick with the most? Oh, Safari all the time. I used Edge for a while, and actually, I think it's got some really nice features. And considering it's basically Chrome, it's amazing how it managed to be a much lighter uh, and less battery-intensive right. hog than Chrome. <laughs> I truly can't understand why people like Chrome so much. And when I work with a company and they insist I use Chrome for something, I think, can you not get some better engineer? I mean, Safari, it's like the most standards compatible browser there is, but you can't work with it. So yeah, okay. The one issue, I run into this because when I record podcasts with others, a lot of the tools to record podcasts with guests like Riverside, TriCast, Zencaster, Safari doesn't allow the browser to access hardware audio devices. Oh, I didn't know that. All right. That makes sense. There's some limitation that Safari has due to privacy and security, which is great. But when I want to use one of those services, I have to use another browser. And that's one of the reasons why people use Chrome, plus all the extensions. But I will say, you know, with all the Google stuff in the, in the news over the past couple of years and I stopped using Google Chrome and I started using the Brave web browser, which a lot of listeners recommend. I do enjoy the Brave web browser. You can actually use any Chrome extension with the Brave web browser, which that was another thing. I have some for web development with Squarespace that I use extension wise and Brave is able to utilize all those extensions and you can do all those audio tools like podcast recording stuff in the Brave web browser. I've totally gone Safari and Brave when necessary, but I try to stay in Safari the most. Have you tried Brave? No, actually, now you've said it, I seem to remember being told about it, but I've not tried it. So I'm, I know what I was thinking when you said that. Brave does all Chrome extensions. Safari was supposedly opening up to Chrome extensions. Do we know how well that's gone? Not. I believe not, mm. because I know I can't get my Chrome extensions in Safari. Mm. But this, the extension ecosystem is definitely growing in Safari, so that's good. Mm. 
This episode is brought to you by Coda. Over the past couple of years, we've probably all gotten a taste of what it's like to work remotely. I've had that opportunity, not only for Apple Insider, but others with clients. I really enjoy working remotely, but what's difficult is finding the best tools where you can work and collaborate with the team that you're on. You wanna make sure the team's on the same page, focused on the same tasks, progress is being tracked. That's why I'm a huge fan of Coda. With teams working all across the country, if your best work is spread out across documents, spreadsheets, different places, you know what I mean? Some people start using Google Docs and some people use stuff locally on their computer. Then it's a mess to try and find everything later. That's why you need Coda, which is the doc that brings all of it together. Coda is endlessly customizable and it's connected. There are templates for anything and everything. Product roadmap, remote onboarding, meeting notes, you name it, Coda has it. And Coda adapts to growing teams and changing strategies. It can help change how you view information depending on what you need to do with it. And it integrates seamlessly with tools you already use like Slack. Everything in Coda is synced. You make an update to a table, it automatically shows up everywhere. No more relying on copy and paste to keep key projects current. And your team can work on the same information and collaborate the way they want to quickly and efficiently. I've used Coda personally. They have a free tier that you could just try it out. And especially for individuals, I actually use it just for my personal stuff. And it's one of the most beautifully designed collaborative tools. And that's important to me. I want my tools to look good. And with Coda, you can solve for just about anything. Right now, you can get started having your team all working together and on the same page for free. Head over to coda.io slash Apple Insider. That's C-O-D-A dot I-O slash Apple Insider to get started for free. Coda.io slash Apple Insider. And the link is in the show notes. Check it out for free. Our thanks to Coda for sponsoring this episode. So I wanted to talk about the M1 versus M2 chip. There was a rumor recently that Apple's VR headset that's coming might be powered by the M1 chip, which I find a little strange. If the M2 chip is going to be announced this year, it feels like it would more likely be powered by that M2 chip, but we'll see when that comes out. But from what we can expect, you know, I've been talking a lot about when are they gonna introduce the M2 and when are they gonna still release M1 Pro and M1 Max computers? Cause we still have the larger iMac and the Mac Pro. And would it be weird to have the M2 chip announced at a similar time as M1 Pro and M1 Max computers? So just to give everyone kind of an idea of what the difference is between these chips, you know, currently we have the M1 chip, that was the first Apple Silicon chip from Mac, and the M1 has an eight core CPU and seven or eight core GPUs. The M1 also has limitations when it comes to RAM and external displays. You can have one external display with the M1 chip and up to 16 gigabytes of RAM. And so that's the M1 chip. The M1 Pro and M1 Max has more CPU cores, actually has 10 core instead of eight. And depending on which M1 Pro, M1 Max model you get, you can get up to 32 GPU cores for graphics processing. That's 32 over the max of eight from the M1. When Apple announces the M2 chip, it's probably still gonna have some of those limitations as far as one external display and 16 gigabytes of RAM. And the rumors say it'll be clocked higher, so it'll be slightly faster. Of course, Apple's not gonna advertise those kinds of clock speeds. They'll talk about how much faster it is over the M1 or over whatever Intel chips. It's probably going to retain a similar CPU count of eight cores and possibly increase the GPU cores from seven and eight to nine and 10, but it will still not match the cores that you get from the M1 Pro and the M1 Max chips. So that would be some of the difference and why even if an M2 is announced next month, let's say at the March 8th event, that there are still many more features in the M1 Pro 
and M1 Max chips, not only more RAM, more external displays, higher core counts, but the M1 Pro and Max also have an Apple-designed media engine that helps with video rendering and processing while maintaining battery life. I noticed that on my M1 Pro MacBook Pro when I export videos in Final Cut. You can really use the computer and you don't even notice something's rendering in the background. Yeah. That's thanks to that background media engine. So hopefully that kind of shows some of the differences between the M1 and M2 line, which is like the lower end consumer line of Mac chips, and the M1 Pro and M1 Max, higher core count, more RAM, more external displays. That's the biggest difference. Am I missing anything there, William? I got a bit lost in specifications, actually. I I know, I was stumbling over my words. No, I, no yeah, it's just, yeah, let's just skip it all. Forget it. What I looked it up, and that, I've forgotten it again. What's the, la- the latest lake thing? Arrow Lake, that's it. The Arrow Lake no, S. No one believes what you're saying, William. No <sighs> one believes that you want an Intel chip. Okay. I mean, bottom line, M1 Pro and M1 Max has more cores, CPU, and way more GPU. And you can get more RAM and more external display support. Yeah. That's the pro line of Apple chips. But apart from that, I mean, what color do they come in? Yes. Answer (laughs) me the important question. Listen, well, let's hope the iMac Pro actually comes in colors. Although, I don't know. I mean, the the MacBook Pros that just came out, you have the choice of gray and grayer. That's true. That's it. Yes. I will say, I have a good friend, Nate Baranowski. He is a chalk artist, 3D chalk artist. His work was actually retweeted by Lin-Manuel Miranda. He did wow. an Encanto. Yeah. And a 3D Encanto drawing in Disney. He's been in Disney the past several weeks. His tweet kind of blew up because Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, retweeted. Very cool. But he recently upgraded from the iPhone 7 to the 13 Pro, which was a massive upgrade. I was so glad he did that. And he just bought a new 24-inch iMac, one terabyte, 16 gigs of RAM, and blue. He got the blue iMac your favorite color, William. And so I'm very excited for him to uh, to try that out. Good. Yeah. Excellent. And he, he delivered it overnight. They're in stock now, apparently. Some of the configurations of that 24-inch iMac you can get right away now, which I thought was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I wanted to mention battery health. Battery health on your iPhone and your mobile devices and your MacBook. You know, we talked about how the MacBook and actual iPhone and iPad devices do better at managing how quickly it charges, staying at 80% until like the morning time to reduce the amount of time it's sitting at 100%, which reduces battery capacity over time. And there was a tip article from Andrew. I'll put the link in show notes. But basically, to help your batteries last the longest, a couple things you can do. Avoid heat. Try not to keep your devices in really hot areas. In Florida, that's basically impossible, but I try. I keep them in the fridge. And then, no, I don't. Uh, Number two, you actually don't want to make it go all the way to zero. You know, back in the day, rechargeable batteries had to go down to like 0% because they they had like a memory and you had to make sure they knew like how much capacity they have. That's not true anymore. All the batteries in your Apple devices, you can charge them when they're at 80%, 70%, get them back up to 100%. You don't have to get close to zero. It's better if you don't let them empty out all the way. And also you don't want to leave them plugged in at 100% for a very long time, although the devices manage that better now. So just a couple tips on managing your battery health. Uh, do you do anything, William, to manage your battery health? You put your stuff in the fridge? Uh, no, not a thing. <laughs> I, I, I'm currently having problem. I have a spare iPhone SE I use for recording audio on sometimes. And the battery life is so poor that I have a bad habit putting it back on the charger in on my desk stand every time I finish. And that means it's always topped up, but it means it never goes very low for it. And I'm pretty conscious that I must be damaging it overall. But if I forget and I leave it out overnight, even not doing anything, uh, I don't have enough to record on the next day. So I'm, mm. yeah, I should probably swap it out for a better battery life. Yeah, or just wait for that new SE. The new SE should be coming out. Yes, yes. Just saying. 
Also wanted to mention find my notifications. You know, the whole AirTag thing and anti-stalking features have been in the news. But also, I actually got a you left your iPhone 13 Pro behind notification on my Apple Watch. And I took a picture with my iPhone 13 Pro (laughs) of the notification on my Apple Watch. And I tweeted it out. It actually got a lot of traction because it's kind of hilarious where I, I have my iPhone 13 Pro in my hand. And I get a notification on my watch that I left it behind somewhere. Oh, no, 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 no. Hang on. There's one thing I don't understand, Inspector. Yeah. I'm looking at that photograph. Yes. That doesn't look to me like a notification that's just popped up. It looks like you've gone into the list of notifications. And that means it could have been in the last, well, it was one minute ago, but it could have been. Yeah, it was one minute ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's a long time. So when I. Uh, I mean, it's. I got this notification while driving. So I was driving home. This notification popped up just a couple minutes before I pulled into the driveway. I would have taken it sooner, but I was driving. I wanted, you know, to get it in real time. But my iPhone 13 Pro was literally in the seat next to me as I was driving. And so when I took this picture, I was like, I don't know how it possibly thought that, that I left my phone behind. So it's just very strange. And maybe there's, there is some updates to all the find my stuff in iOS 15.4 beta. So I'm hoping some of these false positives get addressed because Mm. it makes the whole system less useful when you're like, I don't know what to trust kind of thing. Mm, Interesting. Do you get a lot of those false notifications no i get a lot of notifications about wi-fi as i'm driving along i'm suddenly told this wi-fi setting isn't connected to the internet and i'm thinking well i don't care that's the shop on the corner's wi-fi not mine and then i'm gone (laughs) and i keep getting the private relay is on is off is on is off the only false positives i get are when we drive on the motorway here and we cross over uh, a a regular road can't think of the word for it where the motorway is on a bridge that goes over a normal road but that normal road has a 30 mile an hour speed limit i will be warned that the motorway has a 30 mile an hour speed limit instead of 70 and you know it's wrong and Siri's getting a bit hit please watch your speed kind of thing at me and I don't know why it goes wrong I don't know how you would fix that kind of thing but yeah you get a bit knocked with a few false positives of any description right it's like I trust these machines and they're letting me down exactly exactly Speaking of trust, William, <laughs> you had two articles that I that I have to take issue with. Big big issues here. Okay. First of all, you had a switch from Dropbox, how to use iCloud folder sharing and replace Dropbox. I said, okay, let me click into this. It was, a, it was a good article. Very nice. The one issue I still have, and this is what, like day 200 of something of asking Apple to change this. But all the reports and the investigation that I have done, which is basically just asking people, if you do not have an Apple ID, you cannot download files and folders from an iCloud Drive share. Even if you have all the settings to anyone with the link, can view and download, you have to have an Apple ID to download anything from the iCloud folder sharing and file sharing, which is crazy. And so it, it cannot replace Dropbox until it adds that. And I'm really hoping WWDC, they, they address that. But I mean, have you, is there any update on that? Like you haven't noticed anything different, right? I don't understand. Why do you know anybody who doesn't have an Apple ID? What's, what's going on there? What's, what's, <laughs> I do, what I work, crazy people are you working with? I work with people. I also have clients that, you know, I do website stuff for, and I'll try to share something. And I've had a couple being like, the, you know, even international people, like we don't have an Apple ID and we can't do anything with this. Wow. I actually, I genuinely didn't know that was the case. And that's a failing of mine. I must, I will dig into that and uh, update the article. 
Thank you. Yeah, I think it's just an interesting point because I 100% want to replace Dropbox. I don't want to use it anymore because I'm paying for iCloud. I store all my files there now. But every once in a while, I got to share something and I don't know if the other person is an Apple user or not because we've just interacted via email. Mm. And so I'll just by default use Dropbox so I know they can download it no matter what, whatever device, whatever accounts they have. And so that's that's the deal with iCloud folder sharing. So Apple, please change that. Let us share without needing an Apple ID so the user can download it without it. And then the second article, this this is even a bigger issue, William. Got a big issue here. Listen, I thought if I took the hit on that first one, <laughs> that I'd be okay. But no, there's a second one. All right. I'm on the ground. Yeah. Kick me. Fine. This one. Yes. You have an article talking about how Emmy Wassum, the actress, is going to be in a new Apple TV Plus original called The Crowded Room, and that she is known for the movie's Shameless or the TV show Shameless, and the movie Day After Tomorrow. And I said, wait a minute. Of all the movies Emmy Wassum has been in, William chose The Day After Tomorrow, a disaster movie, and the TV show Shameless. What about Phantom of the Opera, where she was the lead role? Was she the Phantom or was she the Opera? Well, she... <laughs> very, very good. She was Christine. Okay, can I just... She was Christine. There's an inherent knocking of the show Shameless here, and I'm not having that. I've actually not seen the version of Shameless as she's been in the American one, but it's based on the British original, and they're both exceptional pieces of work for it. So you can knock the day after tomorrow. You can knock me, (laughs) but you can't knock Shameless. Okay, I will knock Shameless. And I actually loved the day after tomorrow, but that's just because I like bad disaster movies, which (laughs) I feel like that, that fits into that. But I'll just say she was also in The Phantom of the Opera as Christine, and her, like... Uh, schooling and education was in music and she that's her singing in the phantom of the opera movie and so whatever you think of the movie and how it portrayed the musical i think her singing is incredible so just throwing that out there okay just wanted to give emmy wassum some credit okay that's it i'm not gonna rail on you anymore william i hope that i was i was yeah this time okay fine when the apple car is not announced i was just thinking that you knock me for my completely accurate one day apple car (laughs) One day, just every event, it's coming. Yeah. One day you'll be right. There are loads of people out there who predict what's coming in the next event, and they go taken to task, but you mock me for knowingly getting it out there. (laughs) I just want to be the first, you heard it here first, guy, even if I have to keep saying it several times, and well, hundreds of times so far, until I'm eventually (laughs) right. But one day... A broken clock. It's right twice a day. And so, uh, right. and <laughs> I'm only aiming to be right once. You see, One I'm day. limiting my ambitions and I'm putting effort and consistency into every mention That's right. of it. That's right. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Listen, I've tried several internet mattresses over the years trying to find the perfect one, the one that actually works for me. And I have to be honest, the best mattress that I've found so far is the one from Helix Sleep. Listen, if you struggle sleeping or maybe you're not comfortable when you sleep, you know the effect that has on you the next day. It's hard to get going, you're tired, and you need a good night's rest to make sure you want to get done what you need to get done. Well, Helix Sleep has the mattress for you. What I love about Helix Sleep is you take a quiz, it just takes just under two minutes to complete, and it matches your body type and sleep preferences to the mattress that's perfect for you. Everybody's unique, Helix knows that. So they have several different mattress models to choose from. Soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattresses great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. And even a Helix Plus mattress. I took the Helix quiz. I'm actually a side sleeper. I like kind of that medium firmness. And after the quiz, it matched me with the Helix Plus size. I've had that mattress for almost two years now. 
and I still love how comfortable that mattress is. So if you're looking for a mattress, take the quiz, order the mattress that you're matched to, and the mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. Helix is awesome, but you don't need to take my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. So just go to helixsleep.com slash Apple Insider, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. And they have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but I know you will. Helix is offering $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners when you go to helixsleep.com slash Apple Insider. That's helixsleep.com slash Apple Insider. There's a link in the episode description. You can just click it there. Our thanks to Helix Sleep for sponsoring this episode. All right, well, friend of the show, Jason Aten, has now joined us to talk about some crypto stuff and 1Password and maybe some podcast stuff we'll get into in a moment. But news broke that 1Password announced it will be supporting Phantom Wallet, which is a cryptocurrency and NFT wallet. Users will be able to save their account, password, secret recovery passphrase, and the wallet address. And if you've ever tried to do crypto, you know there's a bunch of long strings of things uh, involved with all this like wallet stuff. And so this will work in the Solana blockchain. I don't even know the words I'm saying right now, but that's that's the one it will work with. And so a bunch of people kind of got upset and were like, man, 1Password is now supporting crypto and NFTs. And this was after news where, you know, 1Password has kind of been like, is it getting too big business and corporate and going into areas that make it maybe less secure, which there's been no reports of that, that it's less secure, but that's just kind of the general feeling. I don't know, Jason, did you have any thoughts about this when the news broke? Yeah, there's two things probably that happened here at the kind of near each other that people are putting together. The first was, as you mentioned, that 1Password is adding these features and they kind of come after last month, they closed a $650 million round of funding, make it, which I right. think was the largest of any startup in Canadian history, valuing them around $7 billion. Mm. This happens a lot. Like we've seen this with Dropbox. We've seen this with Canva, where a company that starts out as like a consumer focused thing, then moves on to small businesses. Then they start taking a bunch of money and they move into the enterprise space. And the people who were with them at the beginning are like, you're adding features that like don't actually help me that I don't care about. Do you Did you lose sight of right. us? And the truth is like, yes. In fact, I talked to an executive at a not one password, but in another company recently and asked this very question, like, why, why do you go after the enterprise? And they said, because it's easier, right? Like we could sign a hundred consumers right. to our service and we get a hundred subscriptions or we could sign 10 businesses and we get a hundred thousand subscriptions and enterprises are a lot less price sensitive, budget conscious than consumers and small businesses. So they can charge more. So there's, there's that. But I think in this particular case, the thing that has people feeling weird is people still think of cryptocurrency as a scam <laughs> and you don't really want the place where you're storing all of your super important private information to be associating itself with something that you might think is a scam. And so like just to also clarify all those big words you were saying before, what they're doing is two things. One, they're connecting with Phantom, which is a wallet that you can use to store digital assets Right. using their a API so that if you open a phantom wallet, you can with one click, if you already have a one password, save all your information over into one password. So that's one thing they're doing. That's phantom is a wallet that works on the Solana blockchain. 
So there's those big words. Then the other piece of it that they're doing is they've actually just added it so that anyone can now go in. You know, if you're in one password and you use it, you know, you have different categories of information. You have logins, right. bank accounts, credit cards. Now there will be one for crypto wallets. And basically all they did was add fields right? because you could already store your information in there. You could just use a secure note and type all the weird letters and numbers and stuff. They're kind of trying to make it less friction for people who might be using crypto to to put all that information into one password. But again, if you've just been using one password for all this time, you kind of see this as a bad sign, right? Like e- even in the blog post with one password, they said, this is the first of many partnerships that we've been working on in the mm. cryptocurrency space. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't really exude confidence for someone who's like, um, really, that's a scam. Right. And so a good parallel, William and I were just talking about using iCloud Drive and folder sharing instead of Dropbox. And this was kind of the path that Dropbox took. Dropbox started adding all these features for enterprise because that's where the money is. They even do password storing now in Dropbox. They have like collaborative features like Dropbox Paper. And it just becomes kind of a bloated mess when it's doing all these different things. And it feels like 1Password is going that direction. Now, I'm not going to say that security is compromised because they're adding these things. Again, it's really just different fields that they're supporting. It's just kind of built in now as a, as a different category. But for me, I'm really hoping that iCloud Keychain gets a little better because once it has a couple more things like password sharing amongst your iCloud family, I'm probably going to switch. One, because it's free, built into all the Apple devices. The two-factor thing has been working really well. And I just don't have to worry about privacy and security at all. Now, William, you're a one password user also, am I right? Yes, absolutely. A long time user. Yeah, same. Uh, so does this make you hesitant or nervous at all to keep using one password? Maybe you're gonna start looking at iCloud keychain more? Well, no. I I take this point Jason, that thing you said about that people see crypto as a scam. I know I used to and I've I've certainly not bought any, I've not gone into it, but I, I've talked to people who've convinced me of that there are certain values to it. Let's put it that way. And I remember I I interviewed somebody at One Password ages ago when they first did that round of the first big investment and they were explaining they were concerned about consumers' worries, but it let them fund certain things. Everything you said actually about the brought in more money quickly was able able to help them do certain things and it all made sense and I came away trusting them as much as before so when I heard this my first thought was couldn't you already store stuff in yeah this thing of secure documents and things but then I realized yeah so it's just new headings in there I I don't see any conflict between it and my bank account details they're just stored securely in there and I trust them but I am also aware that I get very confused these days of whether it's Safari or 1Password that's entering my password for me. Yeah. And if I could just smooth it out into one, I think I would probably go that way. And the odds are that means it's going to be uh, the Mac and Apple's one eventually because it's on all devices at all times. Right. But um, this is not a criticism of 1Password. I, I remain a fan Yeah. here. Jason, what do you think? I mean, are you a 1Password user and does this make you think twice at all? So I I am a 1Password user and like William mentioned, I also have a bunch of things stored in the Apple's keychain. And so in Safari, I'll open something up and there's like this competition between which pop-up happens first (laughs) and to who gets to type my password. I'm like, you guys are way too excited about my passwords. (laughs) Just chill. It's going to be fine. Um, But I'm glad somebody's excited because I don't remember any of them. So that's good. But in one response to what William was saying, I think the 
this is like one step, which I think you're right in and of itself is really not a big deal. And we really don't know what step two might look like, but I think that it's fair for people who might be a little bit queasy about this, like where, which direction are you headed? Because it's one thing for a product that you use to expand so that it can better accommodate teams. Like, cause actually that's one of the benefits of one password. It makes it super easy to share Right. With a family. It's the same stuff that makes it easy to share with the company. So so that's that's fine where we're at right now. But where does it go next? Which is, I think, what people are a little anxious about, because a lot of things in the crypto space end up getting very not only complex, but they just have this strange feeling about them right now. People are just generally sort of put off by that. And it's kind of like, I don't even want you to go over there. However, there is an actual practical thing that I think is worth people's concern. Any password manager, it's only useful to you if, right, the bad guys can't get your passwords. And one password, right. to my knowledge, has done a very good job of that so far. So I have no critique on that. Right. The thing is, once it becomes known that you're storing all of this crypto information, which you're absolutely right, you could have been doing before. However, you shouldn't. You shouldn't be storing any of those secret keys on any digital thing anywhere because it's much safer on a piece of paper in a safe somewhere, okay? So once it becomes obvious that that information is being stored in there, especially now that they're building an API into people's wallets, it's mm. gonna become a much, much, much bigger target on a scale that I really hope that the people who want password are ready for right. because it's one thing to be able to log into my vault and get my bank account password. And that's great. If you want to log in and check my balance, it's going to be just as depressing for you as it is for me. That's fine. But you can't do anything with that information, right? Like you can't take the money out of my bank account just because you can log into it. If you get my credit card information, that's different. But that's completely different than when you are able to get in someone's private key or their seed phrase, and now you have full access to their wallet. And there's hmm. it's irreversible. There's nothing you can do about it. So I do think that it's going to make it a bigger target. Like It's kind of one of those, we'll see what happens kind of things. But I almost feel like a lot of people wish that they just didn't go down that road at all. And I think the bigger target point is a good one because when you look at Apple, they've been a huge target for years. You know, really since the iPhone became so ubiquitous, especially here in the United States, but its popularity, Apple has been working on the security and privacy for all those years. And so they are, I think, well-equipped, not to mention they're the richest company in the world, to deal with any kind of security thing that might come up. And while the 1Password team has been great, it's obviously not the scale of Apple. And like you're saying, inviting, not inviting, but doing things that will tempt and make hackers more inclined to try and break in is a risk. Like it's just an inherent risk as you expand into this stuff. But I guess my general feeling is I liked 1Password when it was really a single purpose tool, save the password, secure notes and numbers. Let me share that with people I trust. And that was it. And while this is still kind of the same thing, I think these plays into other areas is telling. And like you said, they said in their blog post, they're going to be looking at other partnerships in the future. I don't know. It just makes me a little like side eye at what they're doing. That's all. Yeah. And I think the problem would be solved if, like you said, Apple would just make a standalone passwords app on the Mac yes. and on iOS. And it would solve a lot of the problems that a lot because right now it's great. But where do you even go to like I was looking to figure out how you could import your passwords because you could export all that stuff from one password, which is fantastic. Yep. I'm actually working on a piece that'll explain like here's some of the alternatives and here here's how you could get your information into that. But if you go into on your Mac, like where would you import them? Right. Now the answer is you go into system preferences, passwords, and there's an ability to do that. But if all you ever do is use it in Safari or the keychain, like it's very confusing. It would be nice if there was just yeah. one app. Absolutely. One app to rule them all, at least the iCloud keychain. So Apple, 
Howdy, if you're listening, <laughs> build the standalone app. We want it. All right, well, since I have both of you also, and because I love podcasting and Spotify is trying to kill it, I want to talk about Spotify and podcasting one more time because I don't think we've talked about it on the show, but most recently, Spotify bought two more podcasting companies. They bought Chartable and Pod Sites, which are podcast analytic tools that podcasters can use to get more information about their audience and how they can target. And there is some tracking tools involved with those services. Spotify is in talks to buy the company Audio Boom, which is another podcast hosting, but also advertising and ad attrition company. And so I did a personal video on all of this, but I just don't like it. You know, Spotify is really trying to be the main hub for podcasting. And the danger is, quote unquote, is if Spotify is able to acquire all of these big names in podcast advertising and marketing and hosting and creation, you know, they already have Megaphone, they have Anchor, they will be the place where podcasters have to go if you want to try and monetize your podcast. If all the advertisers just want to work with Spotify. Now that's not happening yet, but as they acquire more and more of these companies, Spotify will have the data with companies like Chartable and Podsites. They'll have the metrics on podcasting. They can offer that to podcasters. Also, Spotify is not being super open, like the exclusive shows, not only the Joe Rogan experience, but also Caller Daddy and Dak Shepard. And those podcasts are no longer based on the open standards that podcasting has been over the past 15 years. RSS feeds, you can't even put an RSS feed show directly in the Spotify app. There's no place to copy and paste an RSS feed URL to add a show directly into Spotify so you can listen to it. So if you are a listener on Spotify of the Apple Insider Show, if you want to support us on Patreon, you actually can't listen in the Spotify app because you have to take that RSS feed from Patreon and Spotify does not give you any ability to add shows just via RSS. And so I had some thoughts about what Apple could do to start competing with Spotify. But William, let me start with you. Do you have any feelings about this whole Spotify takeover of the podcast industry? I think uh, Apple, I mean, they did it to sell iPods, but they created an entire medium and it was free and it was great and it was wide open. And back in the day, I used to code by hand the podcast uh, settings for it. It was a great way to get out to things. And <laughs> I like that there's more competition, but people cropping off uh, corners of it. It's, um, I think it's ultimately defeating. It's like network television is eating itself to pieces now rather than trying mm. to be any good at anything. And Spotify is trying to buy rather than create. And ultimately, podcasts have lost a bit of luster in recent years. Mm. I think that what's interesting is that if you zoom out just a little bit and look at Spotify, what's interesting in its move to really sort of take over podcasts is what Spotify really is, is a audience. They have a massive user base. So they're obviously a platform and they don't make that much money streaming music, right? That industry streaming changed the music industry, but it didn't change the economics enough that it's there's, there's nothing different about streaming music through Spotify from a user's perspective than Apple music or I guess there's other services out there, YouTube music, Amazon's music. Like, right. there's no, it's the same music, right? There's nothing different about it. And so all they can do is charge people a monthly fee and pay music labels and they can keep the difference, but you can't charge anymore because mm. right. People aren't going to pay more than they could pay at another service. Cause again, it's the same content. Right. It's all the same content. So Spotify basically said, well, what else could we do with these people? They're already listening to audio. Oh, there's this other form of audio. Let's start doing that. But the, 
irony there is that all the players were free. All the content was free and podcasters make money by basically reading ads was the way it obviously started. And then it started to get a little bit more sophisticated with dynamic ad insertion. So so in order for Spotify to really justify its investment there, it's got to figure out a way to monetize it. And it turns out that the only way to monetize it is to own the whole thing, right? And so really Facebook is, I mean, Spotify is trying to become Facebook, but of audio, right? Because Facebook exactly. owns the ad, the digital ad stack for attribution for things like games and app installs and that kind of stuff. Spotify is going to try to own that for podcasts and for audio in particular, because you can't just start inserting ads. I, I guess the free version of Spotify might have ads. I don't really know how that works because I haven't had the free version for a long time, but nobody would let you stick ads in the middle of their songs, right? So they, they, right. they can't just do it, use it there. But what's interesting about this, these two acquisitions, Chartable and Podsites, you know, Chartable is basically the Google Analytics of podcasting. It gives you insight into right. who your audience is, which is which is a useful thing to know where your audience is coming from, both in terms of your own marketing as a as a content creator, but also to be able to give that information to advertisers. And then Podsites solves a very interesting problem podcasters have, which is attribution, right? If if you read an ad, mm-hmm. the only way the advertiser knows that someone that that ad has a return is if you use a promo code or a vanity URL, right? right. Such and such website slash Apple insider. Yep. And they can make a guess that like, maybe these people must've listened to the podcast and they came here, but that's, there's a lot of leakage there. Right. So pod sites uses, it captures information like your IP address, your device, it tries to fingerprint you basically. And then the advertisers use a pixel similar to the Facebook pixel on their website that then sees the same information and tries to match those two things. So really what they try to do is give an advertiser a attribution. Like you paid for this ad. Here's what your return was. Right. Here's the interesting thing. It doesn't just work for podcasts. And if you think about what Apple has done with the app tracking transparency, this is the direction that all advertising is is headed. And if you don't think that Spotify wants to be a player in that, mm. that then, then you're fooling yourself. And I think that the fact that that's true is not great for podcasts. Or you said you had some thoughts about what Apple could do. The answer is anything. Just do something. Right. <laughs> right. They have right. seeded the entire thing to Spotify because they are simply not competing at all in any meaningful way. <laughs> So I actually, I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Buzzsprout actually has a list of what are the most used podcast apps all over the world. They have a bunch of data for it. The Apple Podcasts app is still number one with 37% of all podcast listeners using the Apple Podcasts app. But Spotify is right there in number two. And if you think about it, Spotify has no not been doing podcasts anywhere near as long as Apple. You know, the Apple Podcasts app is, I think, 2014 or even 2012. Like, it's been around a while. Spotify just added podcasts in the last three or four years. So they're at 28%. And then every other app is in the single digits. Like, Google Podcasts is 2%. And then Overcast is 1%. Pocket Casts, my favorite, which is heartbreaking, is 0.7% of listeners use Pocket Casts. But Apple Podcasts still has the lead as far as users. And so what I think Apple should do is yes, anything, but a couple of things is one, make the Apple podcast app the best listening experience. There's some things they can do, take some cues from pocket casts and using like the up next and customizable features for how you manage new episodes, but also introduce features like the transcriptions that a lot of the open podcast community is trying to get transcriptions to be more accessible and easier for creators to include in their shows. Apple can just build a tool that says, hey, use Siri for free to transcribe your podcast. You'll have to make some edits because it's not perfect, 
but then the Apple Podcast app will have a button right where you can see the transcription right there as you listen. That'd be something totally unique. Also, support a very high maximum amount of characters because our show notes keep getting cut off in the Apple Podcast app. So do things like that. But also offer great creator tools because they have the subscription services now, like we have a subscription where you can subscribe to the Apple Insider Show. And for $5 a month, you get the ad-free thing. Better those tools so creators want to use them. And even maybe buy some of those big shows, but instead of making them exclusive like Spotify is doing, keep them open, just label it as an Apple podcast, and they'll still benefit from shared ad revenue in those shows. Mutually beneficial, it can still be open, they can still keep those shows as RSS, and which Apple has done. Apple has original podcasts like The Line and their Foundations podcast. And those are still open RSS feeds. You can just put that RSS feed wherever you want. And so those are just a few things I think Apple could do. And I hope they do. So Spotify doesn't keep just eating up all these companies. And I just don't want Spotify to be the one place podcasters have to go for ad tracking, ad attrition, and monetization. Like that would not be a good ecosystem. Yeah. And I just was going to quickly say that the other thing Apple probably needs to do is you talked about creator tools, but it's going to have to offer alternatives to these types of tools because right now, Spotify, especially with the recent things that Spotify has has purchased, and it goes back to when they bought Megaphone, right? Anybody can host a show on Megaphone, right? And you can listen to it in any app, right? right? But Spotify owns Megaphone, and now they're owning all of the pieces of the stack, which means it no longer is going to matter what show you listen to, because we pay a lot of attention to Spotify's exclusive shows. That was just to get an audience to start using the app. I'm not convinced Spotify cares that much. I mean, they do make ads from those, but the point was they just needed the mass of people to... You know, they needed scale so that they could start getting advertisers because what's going to happen is now advertisers are going to be like, well, no, if you're not using these tools, we can't confirm the return on this investment. There's no way for us to attribute, you know, attribute these these customers to the ads that we paid you for. So Spotify is going to monetize the entire stack, whether you're using their app or not. That's where Apple is going to have to come in and offer alternatives, because if you listen to your favorite podcast, even if you're using Pocket Casts, if it's monetized, Spotify is going to be taking a cut of that. Right. And there's not going to be any way around it. And what it will do, uh, Ben Thompson had a really good piece on this in his Stratechery. And he talked about how it's going to be good for the entire industry because there will be more monetization, which means there's more opportunities for creators. But it's only going to be better for creators who can afford or are sophisticated enough to use all of these tools. And you're going to see a widening of most of the money is going to go towards the really big shows that have all of the tech behind them so they can verify the ad spend and and people who just want to create a podcast is actually going to get harder for them to make any money. And I think that's a very bad thing. Exactly. Yes. And that, that is my highest concern. I would like to say something positive though. So I've, I've worked a lot in radio here in the UK and from, from out here, the perspective about American radio is that it has been a tragic decline over decades. Mm. Uh, such a rich, vibrant radio landscape has homogenized into a few players controlling stations that have all gone to top 10 not even top 40 music and the loss uh, radio in the states uh, pbs still gets by but other than that there's very little on there and all of the content that it used to be made and is still to an extent made in the uk is now what is listened to on podcasts and people are fighting over it spotify is paying a lot for this material it's kind of validating the worth of some great material so podcasts are great i don't want it uh, to go the same way and homogenize and shut down and become corporate the way radio has. Exactly. And, you know, people make the argument 
that there are other media that has this kind of exclusivity. You know, you look at a show that's on HBO Max, you know, you have to watch it in HBO. And if something's on Apple TV Plus, you have to watch it in the Apple TV Plus app. The beautiful thing about podcasts is, is it's never been that way. And it's somehow still become so popular. There's still been lots of opportunities for monetization, for paid subscribers to support their creators in whatever app they want to use. And that's just what I love about podcasting is that open nature while still being a successful industry. And I just hope it stays that way. You know, I don't want to see it close down like we do other media uh, mediums. That's why I think Spotify just needs some heavy competition. And I think Apple is the one to do it. Although we should revisit this topic if Spotify wants to offer us 200 million each to do anything. Let's just... Everybody's got a price, William. (laughs) I mean, 200 million. If it's like a year, you know, I'll do a year, two year deal. Uh, That is more than I earn in a week. To be fair. So, uh, yep. Yep. Yeah, same. Yeah. Same. Okay. I can't speak for Jason. I mean, but uh, <laughs> I might go exclusive for that. I didn't even have a podcast anymore and I'd go exclusive for that. I'd come up with something. <laughs> I'll do whatever you want exclusively. Yep. It's, uh, yeah. Why not? We sounded so righteous two minutes ago yeah. and now it's gone. Okay. <laughs> not so much. Well, Jason, thanks for joining us for these little conversations. You're going to have an article actually about alternative to password manager apps. And so we'll put a link to Jason's Twitter and you can see everything that he writes, he tweets on. So check that out. And that'll be in the show notes as well. Anything else you wanted to plug real quick? No, I appreciate you guys having me on here to ruin your afternoon. And uh, (laughs) it's always fun. William, it was good to meet you for the first time. Yeah. If I I would have known that I was going to be on the show, I I would not have done the thing that I hate as a writer that people do, which is to send you typos on Twitter. So I apologize for that. (laughs) I thought you were going to say you would have dressed up to meet me, but no, okay, (laughs) fine. (laughs) Thanks guys. Yes. Thank you all. And again, listeners, you can support the show. Like we were saying in Apple podcasts, $5 a month, you can get ad free version and early access or patreon.com slash Apple insider. Let's leave you a, if you could leave a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts, we'll give shout outs to everyone who does that and Twitter handles for Jason William and myself are all in the show notes. We'd love to have you reach out as well. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.